God, we love you so much, and uh, we just thank you for this time and your word this time um, as your children, just seeing your praises to be in community. Um, God, we pray that you draw us closer to you this morning. Uh, give us wisdom, give us insight, give us understanding. God, may we leave here today different than when we first walked in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, uh, I love my parents very much. I have great parents. I have a lot of respect for them. They're not perfect. Uh, so much so that when I was about eight or nine years old, they let me start watching this show uh, with them and my siblings. Uh, and that show was CSI, which stands for Crime Scene Investigation. You guys probably know uh, about the spinoffs. Um, I, was, I watched the OG. I watched CSI Las Vegas. And... Uh, you know, that's a show about murder. I don't know why my parents, when I was eight or nine years old, allowed me to watch that, but they just did. Uh, kind of a confusing thing to, send, uh, you know, to say to me as their child. Uh, but because of that show, I really hated the dark because it seemed like a lot of murders took place in the dark. Uh, so much so I hated the dark that I slept with a light on in my closet until I was in about middle school. Uh, also, I, I didn't mind doing chores because I, I love doing chores. I'm a neat person or whatever. Uh, but I hated taking out the trash at night. I absolutely hated that because uh, we, like, our trash can was on uh, the side of our carport. There was no light that really shone over there. There's these big kind of creepy trees that waved uh, near the trash can. And so my eight or nine-year-old mind just thought that's a perfect place for a murderer to come out and get me. Uh, that's just the way that my mind works. So because of this show, um, and I'm not going to say because of my parents, but because of this show, uh, I hated the dark, except for this one time when, uh, again, I was around that age. I was like eight or nine years old. And my mom worked at the church that we went to. And so we were there during the week, me and my brother and some of our friends. And so we decided to play a game of hide and seek. It was a pretty good sized campus. So this was going to be a lot of fun. So our friend Josh is the seeker. So Josh starts counting and we start talking to each other. Where should we hide? Where should we go? And uh, somebody has the brilliant idea of let's go down to the church basement, which is below the gym. Now, little known fact, uh, in Arizona, there's like five basements in all of Arizona because uh, Basements are creepy, and I can say that because I live in a basement currently. Uh, but I know in Colorado, we love our basements. However, this was kind of weird for uh, in Arizona to have a basement. So me and my brother and my friends, we went and we hid uh, in this one classroom because when you went down there, there was this just hallway of classrooms. The, the, the hallway was always dark. There were all these rooms that nobody ever used. It was kind of like, you know, those, those weird tunnels in DIA. Um, it was really, really creepy. So we go off to the first room on the right side. We walk uh, down the basement. We hide in this classroom. Me and my brother, my friends, we're hiding behind some gross furniture, waiting for our friend Josh to come and find us. And so we sit there and we wait and we wait. And then all of a sudden, you just hear footsteps coming down. You just hear, guys, guys, are you there? And of course, we're not saying anything. We're trying not to laugh. And so he finally, uh, he finally walks into the door. By this time, we have cat vision. We can kind of see, you know, his outline in the door and our eyes have adjusted. So we see that he's, he's crossing the door. 
and we all jump on. We're like, ah, and we like, we scare him. And uh, that, that screaming quickly goes to laughing. And we're just, you know, boys will be boys, I guess. We're just laughing, ha, 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 and all that stuff. And so one of my friends was near the light switch, and he turns on the light switch. I guess that's not the way to turn on the light switch. That's the way to turn on the light switch. So he flicks on the light switch. And uh, we can just see our, our friend Josh is just stoic and just ghost-like, not moving. So we're like, oh, man, we got him. We got him so good. And then one of my friends is like, Josh. And he points. And Josh had peed himself. We scared him so badly. Kids are awesome, are they not? Um, But the reason why I share that story is because, um, the reason why I share that story is just because, uh, why would we do something like that? Because if we were kids, you know, or whatever, and that seems like a pretty innocent prank. Um, But from an early age, I, I feel like I learned pretty quickly that I, uh, my, my bent was not towards living kind of a godly life. Instead, my life was actually bent towards um, maybe hurting people or making fun of people or whatever. The truth is, is that even though there would be adults in my life who would have described me as a good kid or my friends or my brother, sometimes we were good kids, respectable kids. Uh, the truth is, is that there was um, a darkness in my heart that um, I knew was there. I knew my natural condition was not bent towards living a godly life. And so uh, whether it was elementary age or middle school or even high school, uh, I would just, I would make fun of people. Uh, I would make inappropriate jokes. I would bully my peers. Uh, I watched things that I shouldn't have, although I'm going to blame my parents for that just a little bit. Um, I would lie. I would get angry. I would gossip. I would be selfish towards my friends and my non-friends. You see, when people would say I was a good kid, I knew I was a fraud. I felt like a fraud because I know who I am. I know the things that I've done when no one's looking. I know the things that I've thought but never said or I've never acted on. And I knew I was the furthest thing from being a good person uh, when I was younger, but even still now, I know I'm not a good person. I recognize that there's been this kind of darkness in my heart and there always has been. So this morning, I want to talk about just that. I want to talk about light and darkness, these two terms, these two themes that show up in the Old and the New Testament. Uh, For example, we first see it in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 2 and 3. Verse 2 is about God creating the universe, right? Creating the world. We get that story. Uh, But then it says, uh, the author writes about how darkness was over the face of the earth. And then in verse 3, it says, God says, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and it was good. And then we also see in Proverbs chapter four, verses 18 through 19, it says this, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And then likewise in Ephesians chapter five, verse 11, the author says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And so scripture uses these these two terms and uh, light equals this. Light equals holiness and purity and knowledge and truth and goodness. And then darkness, on the other hand, equals sin and evil and lies and deception and falsehood. So John of Zebedee uh, writes about this in his very first letter. John of Zebedee 
is one of the 12 disciples. Uh, the gospels actually show us, tell us that uh, John was one of three disciples that were super close to Jesus. In fact, John gives himself the title of beloved, that he is Jesus's best friend. Uh, most historians attribute the book of gospel, uh, I'm sorry, the gospel of John, the book of Revelation, along with the letters first, second, and third John, they attribute all of that to John of Zebedee. And the reason why I share that is just to say that G, or that John had a very intimate relationship with Jesus. John walked, he talked, he did life with, he saw Jesus on the cross, he saw Jesus after he was resurrected. John had a very strong relationship with Jesus. And John wrote this letter during some difficult times in the church, which is ironic because all of the letters when they were written was during a very difficult time in the church. Uh, but false teachers had begun to espouse things about Jesus that weren't true. And then these teachers were actually circulating around the church teaching these false things. And so what we can draw from uh, in John's letter is these things, uh, or are these things, uh, these teachers believed in a dualistic reality, meaning that there was the material world and the spiritual world. The material world was bad. Your, your skin, your flesh, your bone, all of that was bad, but what was good was your spirit, the spirit that was within you. Now, as Christians, we believe that the body and the spirit are good because they are made by God, but yes, they are corrupted by sin, but they are still made good because God made them. Therefore, Jesus could not have taken on flesh, they believed, because flesh was sinful. That's what these, these people were teaching. That's what they believed. Uh, in order to be saved, you had to have this spark of divinity or this special knowledge that was only revealed to certain people. But the biggest problem with this belief system that these people began to espouse uh, was that they denied the death of Jesus and that it was necessary for the forgiveness of sins and salvation. So therefore, these teachers and those who believed them began to adopt these unbiblical practices. One was they would mutilate their flesh. They would do terrible things to themselves because the material world's bad. And then the other thing that they would do was that they lived promiscuously because they believed that their salvation, that their forgiveness of sins, that they, well, they didn't really believe that there was any sin, uh, which is why they did it, but they felt like their spiritual lives, their salvation was not gonna be impacted by living promiscuously and doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. And so this sharp disagreement led uh, these people, those who were teaching and those who believed it to leave the church and they became known as secessionists or Gnostics. And so John writes a letter kind of responding to all of this. And so if you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. But if you're living your best COVID life now, you can just follow along on the screen. Um, it says this in verse 5, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So going back to that first verse, God, it says, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. We see, again, those, those two themes, light and darkness in the first, uh, the first verse here that we just read. Um, and as I said before, this was imagery that was used in the Old Testament. So in Psalm 27, 1, it says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The prophet Isaiah also wrote this concerning the Messiah in Isaiah uh, chapter 49, verse six, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. 
So John and these other Christians who did ministry with Jesus, they lived with Jesus, they talked to Jesus, they walked with Jesus, uh, they saw Jesus go to the cross, they saw Jesus be resurrected. Uh, these men knew who Jesus was. They spent a ton of time with him. And so when John says it's that God is light and there's no darkness in it at all, what is he basing that off of? His time with Jesus, because Jesus is the son of God. As recorded in, in John chapter uh, eight, verse 12, Jesus says this about himself. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so why does Jesus say this? Because he is God. He's fully God and he's fully man, equal to the father in substance, power, and eternity. As Jesus declared about himself in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the father are one. So how does John, the apostle, know this? He knows this because he lived with Jesus so anyone who knows Jesus knows the Father. Even though Jesus took on flesh, the Gospels declare that Jesus was without sin, which contradicted the teaching of the Gnostics, because anybody who had, who had flesh, who had bone, that was sinful. So after this, John gets into what the commentators call the three denials, and uh, they are if-then statements. They are conditional statements. And they kind of work like this. They basically work like this. It's, it's kind of like denial, then truth, then denial, and then truth, and denial and truth, and, and so on. But so looking at verse 6, it says this. If we say that we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So the first denial is just that we lie. We lie to God. We lie to ourselves. As I said, these teachers claimed that their spirit was not impacted by their sin, so therefore they were without sin. They claimed that they were close to God, but their actions spoke differently because they failed to take seriously their own sin. And as Christians, we know better than that. We know differently than that. The Christian takes his or her sin seriously. Why? Because Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. As Christians, we do not dismiss our sin because our sin put Jesus there. We hate our sin. We mourn our sin. In fact, as I've been studying this passage over the last couple of weeks and I've been reading commentaries and I've even been praying, God reveal the darkness in my own heart, I have found myself more and more mourning the sin in my life, which is not something that I had been doing currently. The Christian wants to repent. The Christian wants to turn away from our sin because we know that it impacts us physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And so John uses this idea of walking as a metaphor for the whole way of life, whether that's walking in the light or walking in the darkness. To walk in darkness means to sin habitually. It's not that we are without sin, it's that we continue to commit the same sin without acknowledging it or recognizing our need for Jesus. So if we walk in darkness, if we habitually sin, if we deny our sin, then are we really having fellowship with God, because those who have fellowship with God will genuinely pursue holiness and confront their sin when the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. As the Apostle Paul says in, in Romans chapter six, verse one, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. I love that. He asks a question and then he answers it because I'm really bad at answering questions. We are not to continue sinning because we have God's grace. This idea that we can keep sinning and have fellowship with God, it's a lie and it's a very dangerous one. 
It's one that I have often believed. And being, growing up in the church, going to Christian school, uh, working in the church, I can safely say that I know a lot of Christians who also believe this as well. I just can keep on sinning and it's fine. Again, I have fallen victim to that. But it's not true. We do not abuse God's grace like that once he confronts us with our sin. So God takes our sin seriously and so should we. And then looking at verse seven, here's a truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So to walk in the light is to live righteously day by day. And by doing so, we have fellowship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And this word cleanses is actually a continuous uh, tense. It conveys the thought of purification that takes place day by day. So it's not a once and for all sort of cleansing that happens. It's a day for day cleansing that happens every single day. And this cleansing comes from the atoning death of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that this atoning death is offered, uh, this cleansing is offered to those who believe in Jesus. His blood is offered to us day by day to cleanse us. So here's the second denial. John says in verse eight, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, We deceive ourselves, John says is that third denial. And we are easily deceived, right? That's why Jesus refers to us in the Bible, even in the Old Testament, we are referred to as sheep. Sheep are easily deceived. We are vulnerable. We're easily manipulated. God knows it and Satan knows it. And we can easily convince ourselves that we have not sinned or that we don't have sin because it didn't uh, come to fruition in outward action. And so Satan loves to justify that kind of sin. Uh, I believe this is partially why Jesus gave his talk or partially why he gave his, yeah, his talk on the Sermon on the Mount. See, God gave Moses the 10 commandments, right? And so the Israelites and even those who were Christians, uh, they would apply it outwardly, but they didn't always apply it inwardly, right? That was kind of Jesus's big thing with the Pharisees and with the Sadducees, with the scribes and, and all of them. He would say, hey, like you guys are living, you know, you guys are living this life uh, acting like it's all about the outside, but really, I care about the inside. And so I believe this is why Jesus said such radical things, such as you have heard that it was said that you shall not murder, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. So that's a big difference, right? Murder or just being angry with your brother. We think, we see that and we're like, well, this person doesn't go to prison for just being angry. But the truth is, is that Jesus is making no distinction here. He's saying, hey, even if you've committed murder or if you've been angry with your brother, it is a sin in my eyes. Now, one is greater than the other. Taking life is one, one is greater than the other, but still they are sins. Or here's another one that Jesus says, you have heard it was said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. And as guys, we love that verse, right? Because that just makes us feel so good about ourselves. Uh, but God, the point is that God cares more than just about our actions. Jesus cares about our heart because our sin originates from our heart. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, but the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And so again, the devil would want nothing more. Satan would want nothing more than for you to believe, well, I didn't commit it outwardly, so I'm good. I'm fine. But God says, no, 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 no. I care about your heart. I want to put a new heart in you. I want to create a new heart in you. I want you to become more like my son. Because God knows that from our heart, that's where sin comes from. That's where it originates. 
And so John goes on to write verse nine, and I love verse nine in this. So again, we went denial, truth, denial, truth. This is such a good truth in verse nine, and I love this. And I always try to emphasize this with our middle schoolers and high schoolers when they're in small group and they're struggling with sin and they, they need to confess it, whether it's to a leader or to their peers or to God. Um, this verse, I love it, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's important to point out that this passage uh, encourages us to confess specific sins. Now, Aaron was just up here and he led us in a confession of sin, which is a great thing. That is a good thing. That is a biblical thing. God calls us to acknowledge our sin corporately. Uh, my wife and I, before we go to bed, we actually pray and she's really good about it. She's like, hey, we need to pray. And I'm like, you know, I'm playing solitaire on my phone or something. I was like, yeah, you're right. We need to pray. And she's so good at that. And so we pray. And one of the things that we always pray is God, forgive us our sins, both of us, which is a good thing, right? Because Jesus instructs us to do that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, when he gives us the, the, temper, the template for the Lord's prayer. Those are good things. However, this verse is encouraging us to get specific, to be real, to be honest, and to talk about the things that we're really struggling with. And so a good example of this is God, for, like, God, forgive me for looking at that woman lustfully. God, forgive me for uh, getting angry with my parents. Uh, God, forgive me for gossiping about that person. God, uh, just forgive me for wanting to do things that I know that go against your law, go against your will for my life. God, forgive me for making fun of Dwayne for being bald. Like, God, forgive me. <laughs> Those are specific sins that I, that we, you know, any of us need to repent for. Um, and that's a good example, but a bad example is this. And I was talking to my friend recently, he works in a church uh, down in Arizona and we were, we were catching up this last weekend over the 4th of July. And he was telling me about his pastor and, uh, you know, he was just like, one of the things that really bothers me about my pastor is that like, he'll get in front of the congregation while he's teaching and he'll like build up this, like, guys, I just got something to bring before you. Uh, I want to be a community that is authentic and real. And I want to be very upfront with you guys that I am struggling with this thing. And because it's a mega church, it's, you know, you can, you can just hear the keys playing in the background, like build up the drama. And then he'll just be like, guys, I, I have to confess I ate too many Cheez-Its this week. And it's just like, okay, like, come on. Like, yes, gluttony's a sin, but like, come on, too many Cheez-Its. I wish that was the one thing I was struggling with. Uh, the, the, the point being is that, the point being is that we need to be uh, transparent with God. As Pastor Dwayne once said, uh, the matter of the heart is the heart of the matter. Now he didn't actually say that, but I couldn't figure out through Google who actually said it. So I'm gonna give him some points here. But nothing is hidden from God. He is, already knows our sins and transgressions. So why can we not come to him confidently with hands open on our knees, confessing to him, God, here's what I've done. Here's what I have felt or what I've thought, which is sinful against you. God, please forgive me. Because we should not be superficial about our sin. Nothing is hidden from God. We might think because somebody else doesn't know about it, that it's fine. But the reality is, is that it's not. Because the voice of darkness would love nothing more than to fill your head and your heart with shame and guilt. Shame and guilt are powerful things that Satan uses to make us feel awful, to make us feel like we can't come before God and confess our sin because he hates us. He's the old man, the old curmudgeon in the sky being like, what are you doing? But that's not the case. Shame and guilt are powerful, but the voice of light, God himself says, I love you, I forgive you, you have my grace, you have my forgiveness. I'm, I am here for you and I wanna help you. 
That is the voice of God. But our natural inclination as sinners is to listen more to the voice of shame and the voice of guilt, the one that accuses us. But God says, you have the righteousness of my son. You are good. You can come before me and confess your sin. As the prominent pastor Dwight L. Moody once said, the voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. And the cross is greater. And so John goes into his third denial here in verse 10. This is the last one. He says, if we have not sinned, or if we say we have not sinned, we make him, we make God a liar and God's word is not in us. So we lie, we deceive, and we make God to be a liar. We're basically saying, hey, you know, that cross that your son died on, I don't really need it. It doesn't mean much, it's void. And so we make God a liar. His word is not in us because if we are without sin, if we believe that, then we think, oh, we can attain perfection by ourselves. It insinuates that we don't need God and Jesus' sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins or salvation. And if we believe this, then what was the point of the Old Testament sacrifices or what was the point of Jesus coming down in the first place to die for our sins? What was the point of the cross? So to say that, if we believe that, and then say that we have not sinned or that there's no sin in us is to make God a liar, which is a big deal. It's a huge deal. And so John concludes with these final two verses. It goes into chapter two and chapter two, verses one through two, and probably the most important part of this section. So again, we had denial, truth, denial, truth, denial. And then this is a good and ultimate truth. This is from, uh, this is from John, who's filled from the Holy Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit, writing these things. John says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. Just sounds like a parent, right? A parent pleading with their their teenager, with their, their little child saying, please don't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. So John does not want his audience to sin. John recognizes that they need uh, the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ to be forgiven for sins and also to have salvation. And so he recognizes that salvation comes from Christ and Christ alone. It doesn't come from special knowledge. It doesn't come from a divine spark or whatever uh, the, the Gnostics believed. It comes from Christ and Christ alone. John reminds them that, hey, even though you sin against a holy God, you have an advocate in Jesus Christ. And he is our advocate because he himself is righteous. He is blameless. He is without sin. He is the light and there's no darkness in him at all. And John uses this word that I couldn't pronounce for the longest time, but it's propitiation. I think that's right. I don't know. Uh, But propitiation is the appeasement of God's wrath. God's holy anger against sin needed to be appeased before it could be forgiven. So by dying on the cross, Christ took his wrath, took God's anger, and instead he gave us his favor, which is huge. So this does not mean that everyone will be saved. Looking at that last verse, it it says, uh, not ours, but, uh, but also for the sins of the whole world. This does not mean that everybody will be saved. This is not pointing to universalism, but it does mean that it is offered to everyone in every nation and every tongue. It's offered to you and it's offered to me. So if we are going to walk in the light as he is in the light, what does that look like for you and for me who are Christians, who are living our day-to-day lives, who Sunday has just begun, but soon Monday is going to be here. What does this look like for us? So the first thing is is that if you were to walk in the light, 
Jesus will expose the darkness. It's unavoidable. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to walk in the light of Christ, he's going to expose the darkness. Pastor James Boyce, um, who's really a popular pastor within our denomination, he passed away, I believe, in 2000. But he wrote this concerning what it means for those who walk in the light. And I think that this is so powerful. He says, uh, for those who walk in the light, this does not mean that the individual will become increasingly conscious of how good he or she is becoming. So you will not, when you're walking in righteousness, it's not like, oh, I'm awesome. I can, you know, I'm just crushing life and all this stuff. Uh, On the contrary, opposite actually, a growth in holiness will mean a growth in true sensitivity to the sin in one's life and an intense desire to eliminate from life that all that displeases God, all that displeases him. So when you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you will increasingly realize your own sin, your own brokenness. You will not increase in, oh, I'm just awesome. That's not how the Christian life works. The longer we walk with the Lord, the more we spend time in prayer, the more that we are in his word, the more we are having fellowship with believers, the more and more God will expose the sin in our lives. It's unavoidable. But at the same time, the more that we do this, God is at work in our hearts. He's at work in our life. And he wants to help us eliminate the sin in our life. He wants to expose it. And here's here's the second thing that he wants to do. God wants to forgive your sins. God wants to cleanse your sins. If he didn't want to, he wouldn't have sent his son. God not only exposes our sin, he does the work of forgiving, cleansing, and purifying. Sin had left a crimson stain, right? As that song goes. But he, Jesus, washed it white as snow. And as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it encourages us, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we can worship God, we can profess God, we can have a relationship with God because he has forgiven us, he has cleansed us. We can come before the throne of grace because of the finished work of Christ, not by any good deeds, but by everything that Christ has done for us. So that darkness that we are so scared of being shown to maybe our friends or our family, our peers, God actually cleanses that and takes that away and says, hey, you can approach me. I love you. I care about you. And this cleansing, as it says, uh, it is a continuous tense. It is a reoccurring daily process. You're not just cleansed one time. It is an ongoing cleansing that takes place daily. Here's the third thing. If you're going to walk in the light, Jesus will encourage fellowship with him and with others. And obviously, this has been really tough for us because of COVID, However, before all of this, I often wonder this because I have people in my life who I think are struggling with this when I talk to them, uh, people who live here, people who live back home. Um, I I often wonder, do do we avoid fellowship? Do we avoid fellowship because we're afraid of being found out? We're afraid of some of the darkness that we're hiding and we don't want others to know about? Is it possible that we're not afraid to show up on Sunday, but we're afraid to show up during the week and be uh, in intimate relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ because we have something in us that we do not want to reveal. And we know that if we go there, if we meet with those people, that we're going to have to talk about it. It's unavoidable. They might ask us those uncomfortable questions. Because as I said before, when I was a kid, my natural tendency, and even still, my natural tendency at times is to go towards the darkness, to go towards sin and destruction. 
And as Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 19, I love this passage because Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was uh, Jewish, but he was also a leader of the Pharisees. He's meeting with Jesus at night because he doesn't want anybody to know that he's meeting with Jesus. And after, John, or after Jesus says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus goes on to say this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so if I'm to be honest, when I'm personally struggling with sin, uh, the last thing I want to do is have God shed light on it. The last thing I want to do is go before God and confess that thing to him. The, the, the thing that I also don't want to do is I don't want to be around other Christians. I don't want to be around other believers because I'm fearful of them finding out who I really am. You know, one of the, one of the blessings of being a millennial is that I live in the social media world and uh, I'm no longer on any of these social media uh, like, like accounts or anything. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on, you know, Snapchat or TikTok or whatever sort of weird app they come up with next. Uh, but I did grow up in that. And so we were able to live filtered lives. We were able to show people what we wanted them to see. We were able to lie to others and be like, look at my life. Look at how great it is. And the sad thing is, is that that permeates my entire being. I don't want you to know who I really am. I'm scared. I'm absolutely terrified. And a lot of times I'll use, oh, well, I'm in ministry. So like, I can't like, you know, whatever, be honest or transparent about myself. But the reality is that's just cowardice. That's just a lie. And even if I wasn't in ministry, I'd still be doing the same thing. I'd be managing my image. But God has created us and he has called us as Christians into fellowship with believers, even if we fear being judged, even if we fear being condemned, or even if we fear that being truly known will be rejected. God has created us for fellowship and it's our job as Christians to remind each other that God loves us, that his grace has no bounds and that he forgives us our sins. So if we are to walk in the light, we are to surround ourselves with believers, sharing our sin asking for help, asking for prayer, asking to be challenged so that we may be more and more like Jesus and so that we may glorify his name. Which leads me to my last point. Here's the last thing for those who are to walk in the light. Jesus will use your past shame for his future glory. That's some good news. Jesus will use your past shame for his future glory. God uh, can use your former darkness to spread the light of the gospel to those who don't believe. In essence, use your story for God's glory. We need to be honest. We need to be transparent with believers and non-believers alike. And now I'm not asking everybody to come up here on on stage and just confessing their worst sins in front of everybody. That's not what I'm asking. But here's where I am gonna challenge us. Maybe we know of one or two people in our life. And by the way, I would encourage that, you know, if you are a man, confide in another man. If you are a woman, confide in another woman just to be safe. Um, We don't want the reverse that. Uh, But maybe there's one person in your life who who is a Christian, who knows the Lord, who you can just make it a regular appointment to meet up weekly or meet up bi-weekly. I know you guys are, a lot of you are parents, your schedules are busy. But maybe there's one person in your life who you're like, you know what? I trust them. They love the Lord. I can go to them. I'm going to meet up with them because I want to have fellowship with them. But also I'm going to make a point to just confess some of the sin going on in my life. I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to be real about this. 
And so I always appreciate whether it's my students or my peers or those who are older than me, uh, when they share things that they're struggling with or things that they have struggled with in the past that God has brought them through, it's so cool to see that sort of success. Um, and I actually see this happen in our youth retreats all the time. I've been to, I've been to and I've led over 20 youth retreats uh, in the last 10 years. And uh, you know, whether it's a three-day weekend retreat or it's a week-long retreat, uh, we have what we call on the last night of the retreat, uh, cry night called cry night because the kids are wired and tired and emotionally unstable and they're ready to confess some things. And so what we do when we go to camps is that there's always a chapel. So there's always uh, great worship. There's always uh, great teaching. And then we go to small groups and that's like the formula for the weekend. And there's normally a, like, you know, anywhere between five to 10 chapels, depending on how long you're there. But the last night of a retreat, the last night of a camp, we get together, uh, we, you know, our kids are divided by grade and they're divided by gender. And so we, we create a circle and then we put a chair in the middle of that circle and we encourage students, hey, if you need something that you need prayer for that you wanna share with the group, stand up, sit in the chair and we will pray for you. Or if you have something that you need to confess, then just sit in the chair and we'll confess it. And it's always the coolest thing when we actually get to do this. Uh, it's, it's one of the things that I, I love most. Uh, but it always starts off as a slow burn, right? You always get like the one kid that gets up who's brave enough to just get up and sit in the chair. They're the first one. Otherwise, like we're all just sitting there in silence. So they're so uncomfortable with the silence. Like, fine, I'll get up. And they nervously get up and they sit down. And it's, again, a slow burn. It always starts off with something like, oh, Guys, I, need to, I just need to confess, you know, I ate too many Cheez-Its this weekend. And then it eventually moves into other things. It starts progressing into other things, uh, such as, uh, you know what, hey, I, I cheated on my midterms or my finals uh, this last week. Or, um, hey, I, I lied to my parents. And then it progresses, and I'm, I tell you, it progresses and it progresses. And then it, it, it becomes... You know, like I, I actually get into my parents' liquor cabinet and I, I get drunk sometimes with my friends or I go out and I hang out with my friends and I get drunk and my parents don't know about it. Uh, I've actually started sleeping with my boyfriend or I've started sleeping with my girlfriend. Um, and then it gets into, oh, I, I think I actually might be addicted to, to porn. Um, I've had suicidal thoughts. I just need prayer for that. I need, I need you to, to come through and I need God to come through and I need, I need to just confess that to you guys. And you just begin to see God shedding the light of the gospel, the light of his love on these students. You see sin being confessed, wounds being healed, Jesus being glorified in the mess of their sin as they confess to us and they confess to God and they pray and they ask for forgiveness. It's the coolest thing. The truth is as a congregation, as the body of Christ, we do need to be open about our sin no matter how painful, no matter how much we don't want to. I know that we don't always wanna tell people what's really going on, but if we're going to continue to walk in the light as he is in the light, as Jesus is in the light, then we need to be transparent about these things. We need to be a congregation where it's okay to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm really struggling with this. I, you know what, I, I struggle with gossip. You know what, I struggle with comparing myself. Social media doesn't help. I struggle with coveting other people other people and their, their lives or their belongings. Uh, I struggle with, maybe you, you would say, I struggle with getting drunk or I struggle with abusing drugs, maybe even prescription drugs, taking more than you should. You know what, I, I lie to my spouse from time to time. I get angry in my heart. There's times where I hate my children. There's times where I'm apathetic in my 
relationship with the Lord because I just don't care. We need to be a community where we can be honest about, you know what, I idolize money. I idolize my job. I idolize power. I idolize sex. Or maybe even I idolize my children. My children are the center of my universe and God is not. We need to confess these things because the good news is that God still loves you. God went to the cross knowing your past, present, and future sin. He did not walk away from the cross because your sin was so egregious and so terrible. He endured it on our behalf and he did so joyfully. When we confess things to God and we confess things to each other, God still loves you. God forgives you. God cleanses you. And Jesus has given you his righteousness so that you are made new each and every day. Jesus can and will overcome the darkness in your heart. As it says in John chapter one, verse four and five, in him, Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and it never will. So I wanna conclude with one more passage of scripture. And after this, I think that I've covered every passage of scripture that's ever been about light, Um, but it's a good one. It's a good one and it's a good reminder that God can use us even when we are feeling ashamed, even when we are feeling sinful, even when we feel like God doesn't love us, God does. And God will actually use us uh, for his glory. And it's in Matthew chapter five, verse 14, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this to his disciples who were, by the way, super broken. And I really appreciate the disciples, but he says this to them to encourage them because he loves them and he cares about them. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to the entire house or all the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Not give glory to you, but to give glory to your father who is in heaven. God is light. God is doing a work in you. Those who profess Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, God is at work in your life. He's never going to stop. So do not be dismayed. Do not be discouraged. Do not be shackled with shame and regret. Instead, let the light of the world expose the darkness in your heart and be a light in the world that desperately, desperately needs Jesus. Let's pray. God, um, we give you so much thanks for this good news, this good word that John wrote nearly 2,000 years ago, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that even though some of us might be walking in the darkness, we, we pray, God, that you shed your light on the darkness of our hearts. May we come before you with open hands, asking for your forgiveness because you are faithful and just to forgive us. You are a good God who loves us and cares about us. And so God, we, we surrender to you and ask that we will be your light in a world that desperately needs the good news of Jesus. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.